0: Hello, Luke. That was dumb. I'm sorry. Welcome to Catching Foxes. I'm Luke. You know, Gomer. Let's get on with it. Our guest today is Brother Peter Francis. How are you, Brother Peter?
1: I'm doing great, Luke. How are you?
0: Good. So, we've known you for like a really, really long time.
1: Yeah, 12 or 13 years now.
0: That's a little ridiculous. And... What do you do? Tell the kids what you do, who you are. Yes, so
1: I am a temporarily vowed brother in the community of the Servants of Christ Jesus based in Denver, Colorado. So our community does three main apostolates of preaching, teaching, and spiritual direction. Currently, I'm in seminary, so I'm studying to be a priest. Um, There are two priests already in our community, and a third will be ordained in May, and we travel the country doing any kind of formation, any kind of retreat ministry, any kind of spiritual direction all over the place.
0: So I'm going to assume that our listeners are like me and which means that they're stupid. Um, what do you mean by apostolate?
1: Apostolate means that you're not a priest, which is a ministry. So priests have ministries. Everybody else has an apostolate.
0: So when we're saying I'm a youth minister, we're actually lying.
1: Uh we're not lying. We're just not using the most appropriate word. It's just like a one of those nuanced words between religious or between priests and uh lay people.
0: So then it's kinda like the the so it's kinda like the truth and the truth.
1: That's right. I like to say uh yes with a but and no with an if.
2: <laughs> it's the right way the wrong way and the max power way
1: I that's right you. what's the max power way you strip on and feel the cheese <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh god is here god is here You're right gentlemen. God, god is god here, is here. <laughs> uh so i want to tell a little bit about um brother peter francis in my experience so we went to college together but um that I feel like, uh, like, like we've got a, a weird version of, of, of Kelch back then. The real version of Kelch didn't fully blossom. Well, I guess you blossomed in college, but then ultimately when you were the guy on the couch. Yes. I think that's, that's when you really came into your zone. Uh, so you, we were in college together. Of course, our podcast, since it's mostly just about me and Luke having a conversation and we're just letting everyone else listen.
1: Uh, right, 30, other 30-year-old white men, yes.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, we were all in the same household together, AMDG, on campus, households like a Catholic frat. Um, but uh, Kelsch actually used to li- – Kelsch. I keep calling you Kelsch. Brother Peter Francis used to uh, live with me and my friend Jonathan. Uh, he's, we got an apartment together. If you've ever heard of Chastity Speaker Matt Fradd, uh, we took over his, his apartment down in Houston and uh, me and Jonathan lived in their apartment so that they could him and his newly married wife could go off to Ireland and do Net Ireland or something weird like that. And then uh, we invited brother brother Peter. Was your dad worked for Delta and you were just flying around the country and you came and saw us for a couple of weeks. And then my wife, who was the director of youth ministry, ended up hiring
1: you. Exactly. Yeah, I think that our friend Jonathan was like, "Hey, you should interview for a middle school job in Houston, and you can fly here and spend time with us." And I was like. Why would I do that? And he's like, because you can fly for free. Just come. <laughs> so I'm in this interview with your wife, who was my boss at the time and the pastor of our parish. And they're like, why do you want to do middle school youth ministry? And I said, I, I actually don't. I just came out to the hang with my friends. And then after the interview, he offered me the job. <laughs> That's awesome. Worst, Worst decision ever. What's what's great about that too is
0: you kind of said that in uh, the Jonathan voice. Why don't you come out here and just hang out and then maybe interview?
1: That's exactly the Jonathan no,
0: voice. No, no, guys.
2: That's ridiculous. He's here. So uh <laughs> So, yeah, so Brian lived with us. We lived uh, for about two years, a little bit under two years. And then, uh... um,
0: There was another person on the couch for a bit.
2: Yeah, and then Luke yeah. also slept on my couch. <laughs> I am talking to two guys on the couch. Am I the only one with my life together? Is that Pretty what's going on? Listen, in
0: 2008, maybe. Also, I did not know that was Matt Fred's apartment. Me no 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 no
2: when you were the guy on the couch that wasn't Matt Fred's apartment Matt Fred's right. apartment Matt and Cameron lived at this one place and they wanted to go to Net Ireland and the the place wouldn't let them out of their contract so they put me on the contract and then uh for like a couple of weeks and then they moved out and then I moved in and then we put Jonathan on the contract and then they went off of it and this so This is some
0: good podcasting.
2: Yeah. So uh contracts. You <laughs> You're expanding commentary on yourself. Uh, So, anywho. But my most important moment was in that second apartment uh, in my relationship with Brother Peter. Was in that second apartment. We would play Halo until 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, Mm -hmm. Correction. Me and Jonathan would play Halo. We would listen to Rush Limbaugh podcasts. (laughs) And you would just watch us play Halo and drink beer. And we would talk about politics and morality and Jesus-y stuff. Uh, you remember that that was that was a wacky time. That was weird. That
1: I actually talked about that at dinner the other night at the table. So there's like seven of us in the community, and we're all sitting around the table. And I was reminiscing about how fun that was, <laughs> like just and how that actually changed my life. unfortunately. I mean, fortunately.
2: No, you can say unfortunately. It was <laughs> that too,
1: <laughs> because I remember we we would listen to Rush Limbaugh and we loved it for like three weeks, and then we hated it after that. <laughs> yeah. And we would also talk about like what the Protestants were doing and why they were so effective and then how come we couldn't do what they were doing and then they were like we found out the Protestants were just doing Catholic-y things but better so we like committed to doing what Catholics do with our youth groups and I was like I don't know how I'm going to teach middle schoolers how to pray you can't teach middle schoolers anything you know. And then it started to work, and we actually did a podcast, what, like four years ago about teaching middle schoolers Lexio Divina or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still on my website. Probably the worst podcast.
2: Oh, it's it's awful. I, remember, I think I my dad that. listened no, to
1: it, no, and that's true. it.
2: Yeah. No, actually, I that podcast, uh, what was it called? Um, you just didn't have the right partner yet. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the person you interviewed was kind of a dud. Um, and we're like back that. full circle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but no, the, 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 at that time was really cool because I had read a book called Contemplative Youth Ministry. And that was my – it wasn't my first exposure to what they call like emergent church stuff. I don't, I don't think that book is emergent church, but one of the things that emergent church fancy people do is they say, okay, with the Protestant Reformation, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, we need to recover some of these spiritual practices from Roman Catholicism and orthodoxy and all this stuff. So they do basically almost everything but the rosary. So they do like liturgy, the hours, and the akath. Well, no, they don't do the akath. They do like all sorts of different prayers and stuff. And uh, you know, a lot more contemplative or meditative stuff that just has been absent from – Um, the Protestant world for a long time. And so I read this book, Contemplative Youth Ministry, and I realized that the main thing that I was doing was just trying to create these epic events for kids every single week over and over again. And I was trying to win them over with my personality and the content of my teaching, which is what I'm doing on this podcast. And it's working, um, <laughs> but uh, we weren't, like, like centering our lives on, like, a prayerful encounter with Jesus. And then we look at these these Protestants who literally the guy, the author is like, I don't do any, like, it was just funny. He's, like, coming from a perspective of, like, he just used to being at this, like, frantic pace all the time. And then it's like, we're going to read, you know, um, St. Teresa of Avila. And he's like, what? And I got so pissed off at myself for ignoring my own Catholic tradition, desperately trying to chase what Protestants were doing in the 70s and 80s and calling that cutting-edge Catholic youth ministry. Um, it was just wacky. It was just wacky. But that really did change a lot of things for me, too.
1: Yeah. And it's sad that, like, they had to remind us of who we were, you know? Like, I never did Ignatian contemplation in high school. I, did, I mean, we would do these things called contemplations in high school, and they would say, okay, imagine yourself by a river. Imagine yourself with the water running down the river. Jesus is in a boat. And I'm like, okay, this is cool, but why don't we just use the Bible to do that?
0: I would have gone, this is cool, but why is Enya in the background? (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I have like nothing to add. All right now, so I'm like, hmm, how can I throw in an Enya joke? <laughs> yeah, i would right have... now.
2: Oh, I, I just imagine you, Luke, having like a notepad right next to you with like things that you've scribbled. Like <laughs> mention Enya, and it's like like a list of thirty <laughs> random things. And you're like, cross that one off on the list. <laughs> sell away, sell away, sell away.
1: Say, hey, done. <laughs>
2: Sorry. so what did you um, started doing oh, in your youth ministry like what what specifically were you breaking open because i mean we have a lot of youth ministers that listen to this and uh i think a lot of us are a lot of youth ministers i say us because i still think i'm a youth minister um a lot of people get caught up in that massive driven event win the kids over with loudness kind of thing so what did you do like program wise
1: Yeah, so I worked with middle schoolers, and granted, I worked at a parish that was like a contemporary to your parish, right? We had 300 kids in our middle school program, all this kind of crazy stuff. We had all the bells and whistles as well. And I remember when we kind of committed to this, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell these middle schoolers, we're going to practice silence. And we're going to aim to having five minutes of silence in our prayer each day. And when I told the middle schoolers that, there was like a roar, like a revolt against. And they were like, "No, no silence!" You know. And I'm like, "Man, that's exactly what we need. Like, this is exactly what we need because you always want something coming at you. You never want to receive anything. And unfortunately, we never made it to the five minutes of silence because it was just so hard. But I think it was Cardinal George. God rest him, who said something to the effect of if we all just were quiet for five minutes a day, things would be so much better. And I was meeting with a lady the other day and she's like, I just never hear the voice of the Lord anymore. And I'm like, well, where are you giving the the Lord time to speak? And she's like, what do you mean? And I go, when? Like, when are you silent? And she said, never. And I go, that's the problem. You're never silent. You're always listening to music in your car. You're always talking to someone on the phone. The TV's on when you're making dinner, you know? There's just constant noise coming at us. So that was one of the big things. And the other big thing is the Lexio Divina thing of praying with scripture, giving them the word of God and having God speak to them.
0: You know, I think that's really important. Actually, because in some of the ministry that I may or may not be involved with, with some people,
2: what, what? I don't know. I don't
0: know. No, <laughs> who up, down, left, right? I don't care. Well, I don't care. Uh, well, that was. Uh, sorry. Why do I have to always add on to things? Because you're I trying to can't... outdo me. No, I'm. I'm, ten, ten I'm ten times not. Out of ten I just get you do. I get excited. I'm like, oh, I can add something, and it's like that was so stupid. Um, and yeah. Same. Okay. So <laughs> you um, just
2: did
0: <laughs> no i was excited i thought that was a cue um we're still trying to work on our routine
2: we've i really just want lot. to giggle right now and talk about college and not do
1: a podcast <laughs> no seriously can we just talk about how great 2006 was um <laughs> Return of Brother Peter, Return of Luke. It was a great time. <laughs> do you remember George
0: from 24 when
1: he died? How horrible that was? You remember how, we, okay,
0: this is how great it was. We would invoke this to try to steal shotgun from a person. We would invoke the sacrifice of George Mason. Do <laughs> oh, you remember gosh.
1: that? Oh, yeah. I do. Oh. <laughs> That was we did that thing in our apartment, like
2: Jonathan and Kelly and carried it, he carried the tradition to Texas.
1: <laughs> it's because it's a heroic sacrifice, okay? I don't
0: understand why we were single at that point in time. We were great. All right, so <laughs> we, were great. Um, we do a lot of Lexio. Like we start every meeting with that, and whether and all of our on all of the um, events that we do have that built in there at some point in time during during of the day. So it is present in everything that we do, both behind closed doors and out in the open. And it's crazy what happens when you build that into your work
1: or your apostolate. And good use of the word apostolate. Thank you. <laughs>
2: <Ding>. <laughs> yeah, the uh, just for people who don't know, Letzio Divina is an uh, ancient type of prayer where you just take a small portion of Scripture and you meditate on it. It means divine reading, let'sio divina. But it, you just take that small portion of scripture. You're not trying to study it. You're asking in in silence or whatever. You're asking for God to speak to you using the anointed words of Scripture. And you just take it slowly into yourself and bounce it around. And usually a, a word or phrase will stick out to you. And then you take that and then you apply that to your life, right? And so there's these mm-hmm. different stages: the reading, the meditation. A, a prayer that kind of springs from it, and then at the end, contemplation. Um, so, teaching middle schoolers how to silently read scripture over and over again, to meditate on it uh, and apply it to their life, and then, you know, like all this stuff, it is a Herculean feat. But what, so I took over youth ministry after you left. Right. Um, and one of the things that we would do is we would, uh, and for some reason I had a lot less core members than you. Um,
1: <laughs> it's because you were one of my five core members.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so then I had four core members. But uh, uh, the interesting thing that I would do, so we didn't have enough core members. for the, We had 300 kids and 10 core members. And wow. so we couldn't do small groups every week. We tried, and it was like thirty kids in each. Small, and that, that's that's a whole youth group for some people. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was awful
0: <laughs> for most other people. Actually, not some. Yeah, everyone else.
2: Yeah, good point. And uh, I'm awesome. And uh, so all the all the adults like we they were like we can't do this. It's this unsustainable. We don't even have rooms to put people in. So we came up with this thing where we would set, we would rotate who got to go to small groups. So kids only got to go to small group once every three weeks. So I had the sixth graders; they would go off, and then they would be in meaningfully small groups um, with the ten core members. And I would have like either one core member stay back with me and two hundred kids, or I'd have the receptionist <laughs> the slush oh, come in man. and slush. hang out, and he would just watch the kids and whatnot. And I would do, uh, I would teach them on uh, um, a different parable. And then we would do Letzio on it. We would prayerfully we'd do a group Letzio, which is a little less effective, but um, we would do a group Letzio on it, and that's kind of how we kept that kept that thing going.
0: Now, did you guys, when those kids hit high school, did you see a difference with them as compared to the the guys or the guys and girls that you had in high school before who weren't as involved in your middle school ministry when it was based on things like that? Like, what was the fruit of that once they were in high school?
1: Well, I would say that, like, when I first started doing this, I committed to doing it for about eight weeks with the kids. And by the seventh week, I was like, "Okay, Lord, like, this is not working. I tried your thing. It's not working. I'm done. And then the eighth week came and I was like, thanks be to God. This is the last one. And what I would do at the end is I would have them share. Like, okay, if something stood out to you, share it because it's good for everyone to hear. Mm -hmm. So this girl gets up. And she's going to share, and I'm like, okay, this girl's going to make a joke about the passage or whatever. I don't really care. We're done with this thing. And she gets up, and she reads her thing, and she says, my daughter, I have loved you from the beginning. You've always been my child. You'll always be with me. Continue to walk with me at all times. And I was like, wait a second. This girl literally heard the voice of God. We're going to keep doing what we've done. And I just was like blown away by the fact that some eighth grader had just encountered God in front of three hundred kids and had the courage to tell her friends wow, that she yeah. encountered God now I'm creepy, so uh we follow her on Facebook and she's in college now, and I would say she's probably you know committed sins considering we do that, but I would say that From what I know of her life and her friends, she's made better choices than most other people. Um, One of the guys in the youth group is going to join the Jesuits after he graduates. Um, You know, a couple other guys ended up at some good school in the middle of Ohio called Franciscan University of Steubenville because they wanted to continue their prayer life in an intentional way. Guys who could have gone to UT, guys who could have gone to A&M, they could have gone anywhere else, but they went to this weird school in Ohio to continue to pray because they knew that was more important.
2: That's awesome. And then the, the other amazing thing that happened in the apartment at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, was <laughs> me, and, me and Brother Peter would keep having these conversations. Uh, and I would be like, what do you mean? Like, I love the Holy Spirit. I went to Franciscan, which is a charismatic school. I did all this, like, prayer in the Spirit, praise and worship, all that stuff. And yet, uh, I, I... I was not you. <laughs> you <Right>. had <have> this... <laughs> right, that's true. You were not me. Uh, you were a simpleton little child. Um, <laughs> but the coolest thing was you had this charismatic spirit to you. You had the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say. And I was like, I I need to do this. I want this. And then you just started telling me the craziest stories about healing. Now, I don't care if we want to rehash that. Actually, I really, really want to. But uh, I know that with our with our audience, we did an episode with... Um, Dave Van Vinkle yeah. and but it doesn't matter like I think the my whole thing that I was introduced to the charismatic renewal of specific I mean like I'm not a card carrying member of anything but uh, of praying with people like how do you pray with people how do you do things like a discernment of spirits or whatever how do you do that that was all taught by you um, to me and the best part was the day when you asked me to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we we're like, let's just do it right now. Let's just do it right now. And I'm like, oh, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm in my boxers. And, <laughs> and we're Jonathan in...
1: is killing those zombies by himself out there.
2: Poor <laughs> <laughs> guy's all alone. It's like he's left behind. And uh, <laughs> and so we stood next to – I just remember I was getting – I was going to put food in the microwave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm standing next to the microwave in my in my undershirt and boxers. And you're mm-hmm. like, let's just pray right now. And you pointed at me with your giant bare hands. That's right. And, uh, and we prayed uh, for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. And that was literally, like, the most important thing that happened to me spiritually in my adult life, including my marriage and the birth of all my kids.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, sorry, Shannon. Oh, she doesn't listen. That's why I get yeah, the same things. like <laughs> Totally fine. Now, I need you to realize that when you mentioned the word charismatic, you lost, like, half your listener base, so you're back down to three people.
0: Oh, no. no. Andy know. and my sister <laughs> and that Christian guy. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. Hey, Andy. Good to, good to talk to you, I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we, don't, we
1: don't want the tradies listening to us anyway. Just kidding. <laughs> well, Just... And I want to clarify that because I – in high school, went to the Saturday Night Mass, and I sang in the choir with these 70-year-old people, and we sang every Sunday, Table of Plenty, and City of God, and all of those other OCP songs that you really wish were dead, right? Absolutely. And I go to Franciscan, and I had no idea that it was that charismatic. And actually, my freshman year, I hated it. Really? Yeah, I hated it so much. I was like,
0: like you hated the school or the charismatic spirituality?
1: Yeah, the charismatic spirituality. I, I just thought it was like fake and emotional and dumb. I was like, we're adults here. We don't need to do all this stuff. We should be praying.
2: So how did you get into it?
1: Uh, <laughs> the way I got into it was the way that you got into it. I was talking to a, a, the founder of my community, Father Paul Koska, who was a good friend of ours who – uh, Gomer knows very well and I so does Luke. Him.
2: Continue. He did.
1: I know him. You do know him very well <laughs> as well. I'm needy, sorry. Go on. <laughs> so I was pretending to study one time my freshman year. And <laughs> That's true. That's very <laughs> it true. It is true. <laughs> so we were in the study room in Francis and Father Paul was like, we need to talk about prayer. And <laughs> so he just, that's my impression of Father Paul. That's not what he really sounds Nailed like. Nailed it. No, but it's, spot it's close. On. pretty close. Spot on. Thank you. Thank hey. you. <laughs> so Father Paul comes in and he's like, we just need to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit because I think God has big things for you. And I was like, okay, I'll be generous and I'll let you pray with me because I don't really want to study anyway. So, okay. And all of a sudden, like four people show up and it's, A bunch of us in the study room in Francis Hall and Franciscan University of Steubenville and they just started to pray with me and I had no idea really what it meant to pray with someone or over someone and then I started to go to AMDG our Catholic frat um, praise and worship on Wednesday nights. And I remember we would sing a song, and I loved the sound of men singing. And the reason I love the sound of men singing is because you never hear it. I mean, you hear Luke do it every now and again, you know, when he sings Sail Away or something. (laughs) But we don't even sing, like, the national anthem anymore. Like, we let whoever has the microphone sing the national anthem, and the rest of us just stand there, you know? So the sound of men singing is never heard, and the sound of AMDG men singing echoed through campus. So I loved that sound. And then after the song was done guys would like start to tell God who he was out loud. And I was like, what are they doing? This is like loud and annoying. And let's just sing the next song. And then after praise and worship one time, they're like, okay, so if guys want to get prayed over, let's, let's pray over guys. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to get prayed over and I'm going to prove these guys wrong. Like I'm going to prove to them that this is emotional and it's all baloney. And that this is not real prayer. So these two guys, Stu and Carter, are praying over me. Yeah. uh, Exactly. I probably wasn't there. Go on. I skipped that commitment. (laughs) I skipped that commitment. (laughs) Probably more likely. (laughs) Luke, uh, Luke was
2: let's be honest, Luke was talking with a girl. Have that was know. when I turned 21 and we were drinking. <laughs> you were having an emotional... Why Why did I break up with her? Why? why?
0: <laughs> Listen, me and Gomer were downstairs playing Grand Theft Auto 4, drinking and listening to Blindside, and it was
2: awesome. <laughs> hey, not doing household commitments. I was faithful.
1: You Coach. were an RA at the time, so that was your excuse. Yeah. Sorry. So.
0: Anyway, so you're praying
1: with so Holiness and Carter. Right, so they're praying with me, and all of a sudden... Stu opens the Bible, and he reads this passage, and it's, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the first thought in my mind is, that's God the Father speaking to God the Son at the baptism. Like, God would never tell me that. And once I said, God would never tell me that, something inside of me said, Yeah, but you need to hear that. And then again, I heard the voice say, It wasn't like Stu's voice again, but it was this echo in my head of, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I was like, wait, God just spoke to me. He just called me his son. That's kind of a big deal. And so from there, all of a sudden I was like, this is a thing. This is actually something because I... I'm a good guy. Like I went to church all the time growing up. I was the the altar server, right? I was the guy in youth group that knew everything. I was like Gomer Light for my youth group in Georgia, and it was it was just incredible that I had this real experience of God calling me His son. And then from there, I started to enter into this this kind of charismatic prayer. And I don't like to call it charismatic prayer because I think people think of that word and they like run away. They're like, oh, it's emotional and running around and screams and all that stuff. 80-year-old it be men really with glad
2: tambourines. Like yeah.
1: Exactly. So I hate that stuff. But I love the fact that God loves his people so much, he wants to be in relationship with us now. And when I teach people like, hey, let's just pray with you, I turn to the catechism. The catechism, in its section on praise of God, simply says, when we praise God, we tell him who... He is. So I just tell somebody, just tell God who he is. Just tell God who he is. So, and that's how it starts. We just enter in from there. And then when I start to pray, unfortunately I'm like a bull in a China shop. I just run into whatever the Lord is running with. And I just go there too. And it's just a lot of fun. (laughs) The Lord points, you run.
0: Exactly. let me ask you a question. Um, So, I've been like you guys all know this, and I'm pretty sure that the majority of our audience does. I grew up in a charismatic community. I I mean, I I, people praying in tongues is as natural to me as like a baseball game. Like, I've just I grew up around it, and I faked being slain in this in the spirit because I just wanted it uh, to happen. I was like, I'll just go down, you know. And so, um, (laughs) and when I got to college. I think it's one of the things that, that attracted me to AM, AMDG as well, but over time, I became less, charis, less charismatic, and I'm at a point right now where a lot of the ministry that I do is very charismatic, sorry, my um, apostolate that I am involved so. with it may or may not be my job it's not it is
2: we'll never know can't say who. We'll it's never a know. mystery
0: <laughs> oh, who knows father paul's mystery hour um <laughs> at I, you know i'll be honest at times i struggle with it i go is this just like is this too much i don't know like i it, it really honestly it's i i think I, for some odd reason i'm at a point in my life now where I want to believe that everything involved with that is true. Like all of the healings and that stuff. But I, I just, you know, if, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I'm like, I know these are good people doing really good, good things. I'm going to, I'm going to I believe that, but it's, but I, I know that in my heart, I don't fully understand. And so what would you, or to recommend to a, to a person like me who's at that point where I'm, I am not hostile towards it at all, at all. Like I, th- I think that it's great, but in my heart, I'm like, I just, I'm not making that connection.
1: Right. Right. And I think a lot of people um, who grew up in, in covenant communities and stuff experienced that at some point, I did not grow up in a covenant community. I grew up in your generic parish in USA somewhere. Um, so, Yeah. And I think there are two two responses to that. The first is that not everyone has to be speaking in tongues. A lot of charismatics think that people have to speak in tongues in order to be charismatic, and you have to be slain or rest in the Spirit in order to be charismatic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that those two things are like necessities to be in relationship with the Lord, and especially with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there are a lot of nuns that I know who I've worked with and other religious, and they would never pray in tongues, and yet they're incredibly holy people. So I don't think, number one, it's absolutely necessary to be quote-unquote charismatic. And the second thing is this, what is your prayer? I mean, if you're trying to pray charismatically all the time, I think you're going to have a struggle there because I think that charismatic worship is for the body, I mean, prophecy is for the body. I don't prophesy into my own life. I prophesy for a community, right? Mm -hmm. I don't heal myself. The Lord heals someone in the community. So if I'm not praying charismatically in a community, then I've got some real problems. If I'm trying to pray charismatically in my own time, then I'm just trying to build myself up in my own way for the kingdom. And my response to that would be, just go to Jesus then, just do Lexio Divina, do mm-hmm. some kind of contemplation. Do something, yeah, more uh, indwelling as opposed to exterior. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah,
0: and 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 I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to like come down. And I'm I'm just trying to say, oh, this is where I am with that because I think I'm at a point right now where I might just I'm like you know it, it's funny because I thought I would grow up and be, like, in a charismatic a community because I was so – especially I was so charismatic in high school and even in the first half of college. And I think somewhere, like, it's it's kind of funny because I think right when you were coming into all that stuff at school, I was slowly starting to back away from uh, from that in terms of being my my dominant spirituality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've reached a point where – it's not as natural as it once was, but I don't mean that in a bad way though. Right. It's just, um, you know, like when I, when I, cause I'm, I, I and I'll still, I still will, uh, lift up each of my hands, you know, and and I'm so, I'm not like, but it's just, it's not my predominant go to every
1: time, you, you know? Right. Right. And I, I think, I mean, I experienced something similar at Franciscan my senior year, we had praise and worship on Monday night before the monthly festival of praise so that the community who was leading the festival could pray together. So on Mondays, I had an hour and a half of praise and worship. And then on Tuesdays, I had—I was in charge of the all-campus praise and worship. And then on Wednesdays, AMDG had praise and worship. And then I was doing life teen ministry in Steubenville. So we were doing praise and worship there all the time. I was, like, tired of praise and worship by my senior year, too. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I understand and I agree with what you're saying, and then I'll just say from my own experience, when I go to pray in the morning, when I, I mean, our community does a holy hour every day, I, I don't speak in tongues. I don't prophesy in the adoration chapel. I don't, you know, do all, I don't lean over to the lady next to me, the old 90-year-old lady who's there and be like, Jesus is saying this into your life. You know, I'm like yeah. doing my own stuff. Will you please, next, there, time will, will you please <laughs> next time do that? Will
2: you please next time do that? Hey, I know this is the 5 a.m. holy hour, but Jesus wants me to tell you something. <laughs> he says, go geriatric, go <laughs> run, leave your walker by the, the nicest old ladies with
1: all the different yeah, colored hair. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: no, and, and that's, I think that's really key for a lot of people to understand is I think the vast majority of the, of the charismatic people that I know they're not trying to get a spiritual high.
2: Right. Yeah, and that's the issue, right there. Is like my problem when I was a freshman, I hated the FOPs, the Festivals of Praise, which is like everyone goes into the field house, they do praise and worship music for an hour and a half, and scripture readings, and and people will come up, they they have words of knowledge that they would say, and I would go there uh, thinking that I was I was looking for a uh, a retreat experience, you know, kind of the retreat high kind of thing, and then after a while, I was like this is all bull crap, it's all emotional, it's all emotional manipulation, it's all like, you know, like, and I was just really, like, really down on it, and then, um, and then probably it was my junior year when our whole household started getting very, very involved in, like, the prayer team ministry and all this stuff, and I started getting prayer, I would go there, and I was struggling with my relationship with my dad, so for those who don't know, my dad, um, my parents stayed together, but my dad had a job transfer out to California, he worked in the oil and gas industry. And uh, we were in Oklahoma, and he moved him out to – and for some reason, my parents thought, yeah, it's a good idea to break up a family. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, my dad went out to California while we stayed in Oklahoma, and he would come home for, like, a week every two months. And uh, this is when I was, like, going through puberty and all that stuff. And then when they – about five years later – so every summer, I would just disappear from my hometown, and I would be in California, and it would be me and my brother. So there was no, like – We lived in an apartment that my dad lived in. There were no kids in the apartment. I didn't go to a school, so I didn't know any of the kids there. It was summertime. No one at the church. They didn't have a youth group or anything like that. There was literally nothing for me to connect to other kids to. So it was just me with my brother, who was a bully, and I was just alone all the time. And it it was a really difficult time in my life because, like, my dad wasn't my dad. Like, whenever he was in town... He didn't want to like be the yelly screamy guy and and I don't blame him but he basically became like my chauffeur like he would drive me pick me up from college, you know high school and take me places when when it was high school time but then his job got transferred out to Houston and I and we moved down there and uh for me the biggest struggle like that's when I was addicted to pornography that's when I was struggling with all this stuff was when I didn't have my dad there you know and then it mm. wasn't until I went to AMDG that I actually had uh, influence of, number one, men that I looked up to who who actively took a role in my life to form me, for better and for worse, uh, <laughs> in, in in life. But then I, I had a group of brothers that were doing the same thing. And my brother at that time was really into drugs and alcohol and all that stuff and walking down paths that this little youth group junkie could not go. And so for me, my experience, kind of like what you said, it's really funny. So for you, or Brother Peter, your prayer was, um, you are my son. What was it again? What was the passage?
1: Yeah, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased.
2: Okay, so the other founder of your order, your order has three founders, Father Paul, who is a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, Thomas Yeager, who is now married, who is the one that he sang <laughs> saying the remix of Ignition to, and then uh, Father John, who was my would become my spiritual director at the end of when I was in, in college before he founded the order. He was mine first. That's true. That's true. Um, but I was in the common room, uh, the charismatic fishbowl that our common room had become, and I was that's right being prayed over after a night of adoration or out of uh, praise and worship with our household. Uh, Luke, I think, was downstairs in my room playing Grand Theft Auto, and uh, I had. Word and um who works for your religious order, funny enough. Word and uh Thomas Yeager pray over me. And Yeager is sitting there, and is so funny because when he prays over someone, he gets the words like 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 there's no tomorrow. I pray and right. I'm like, Jesus, I'm gonna pretend like you're telling me to tell this person this. And <laughs> Yeager's like, this is what he does. He goes, ah. and he I see him flipping his open his Bible, and I'm like looking over and I'm like all curious. And he's like, ah. Ah, stupid. And he'd shut it, and then he'd open it up again. He's like, "No, this is stupid. And over and over, and I'm like, what do you want? And he goes, well... I just want to say, I don't think this makes sense. It wasn't what your prayer intention was. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And he goes, because I, you know, what I did, I did what most people do. I have a thing that I really want prayer for that I don't want to admit. And then I have the thing that I ask everyone, you know, I just really want to like, just be better at my 3 a.m. Holy hour. You know, like when you're like praising yourself. (laughs) And so I say, we pray, you know, I I said, I can't remember what I need to pray for. And then he goes, this doesn't make sense. I'm just going to read. to you tell me what it is. And he said, he opens up the, the gospel of John. And he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And I lost my shit. I lost it. I, like, literally, I wasn't thinking about my relationship with my dad. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. I wasn't there for prayer for any of that. And when he said that, my brain went, I won't leave you orphans. What is he talking about? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, you know, and it, like, it was, like, this shot that, like, reverberated. Like, you see in, like, a movie's, like, slow-mo impact. And you just see these waves, like, hitting my heart. And it was, like, okay – I'm not an orphan, but my dad did leave me for, you know, and I went through puberty without a dad and, uh, you know, all these issues that I had. And it was like, okay. And then it was like, yeah, but God the Father didn't leave you. Like, he's still here, you know. And then it's like, you know, this movement of forgiveness and of love and of being received and, and realizing, oh, my God, God was always there. And all of this stuff happened within the span of, like, a tenth of a second, and that's when I lost it, you know. So that for me was it. Like, we talk about charismatic prayer not turning in on itself, people who go for the high. That was the moment when I realized, oh, this is real. Like, this, the Holy Spirit is actually moving right now.
1: And I think that everyone wants an experience like that. They just don't know how to go about it. And they want the Lord to speak that profoundly in their lives, you know? Like when I went and got prayer, prayed over by Stu and uh, Carter, they were like, yeah, what do you want prayer for? And I'm like, uh, to, 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 for my grandmother, my grandmother. You know, like I didn't even want prayer for myself because yeah. I don't even have to ask for that, you know? And then they just say, no, no, this is for you. God wants to tell you this. And it's weird that our first reaction is, yeah, but that's not for me. But when you know it's really from God is when it sinks deep into you and really hits you. And you're like, oh, wow, that's intense.
0: You know what's um, really crazy, too? When I think back on my – because there was like – so before Austria, well, and like right when I was was in Austria, this was my junior year. Things were going pretty well for me spiritually even though it was a lot of – it was a period of a lot of – of growth, and then after that, my mom got cancer, and uh, just a lot of crazy things happened. It was kind of not downhill, but it, it. I definitely had to turn inward a little bit and just kind of really try to understand what was going on in my life. But, anyways, um, when I was in Austria, I, I remember I was on a prayer team, and this and like this is one of those things that I, that I always go back to anytime I go. Is this really real? You know and i was having and i was uh praying over all all of these people and we were in the middle of Assisi. and i couldn't pay attention at all like i could not i was trying so hard to really just pray for these people but my mind was anywhere but what was in front of me it was almost like i couldn't control what was happening and i and i and i remember afterwards one of our friends liz she came up to me and she was like your hand felt there was heat coming out of your hand onto and into my body and i was like what you know and uh like how is this happening when i can't i'm trying so hard to pay to like to 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 try to focus and i can't and it's and what my point was is that i always go back to that because i feel like I was like God was uh, working in my heart at that at like that like moment just as much as He was that other person. You know, sure. like it's it's really um I don't know it's 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 kind of a profound how all of that how it's not always it's it's not I want A so now B C uh, D E are now going to happen.
2: Yeah, with God, anything follows.
1: Yeah, it's true, and it's awesome that. I'm not in charge of it because if I was in charge of it, it'd be done this way, but he does it a completely different way. And it's more impressive when he does it that way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I really enjoy about it.
2: Yeah. So taking a turn from, you know, I don't, I don't want this to become the charismatic podcast. Yes, I do. But, uh, (laughs) taking it from there. Okay. Actually, this could be funny. Um, you left Franciscan. I did. Why did you leave? Why did you come back? (laughs) And then, and then how are you here now?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think this kind of goes to something that Luke was saying uh, at the beginning of, of his, of his um, kind of talk about his experience of the charismatic prayer. Um, so I, I, had never go- I went to public school my whole life, and my dad had gone to Catholic school and wanted his kids to go to Catholic school, but the public school near our house was really the best one in Georgia, and it didn't make sense for us to drive 45 minutes to go to Catholic school. So I wanted to go to Catholic college, And um, I applied to to three Catholic colleges, and that was it. I applied to Franciscan University of Steubenville. I applied to this school that was going to open in Georgia called Southern Catholic that ended up not opening up. And then I applied to another little small school in uh, Virginia that's the exact opposite of Franciscan University of Steubenville, um, Christendom.
0: I didn't know you applied to Christendom. I
1: sure did. I sure (laughs) did. And the priest that I looked up to my whole life was a Christendom grad. And he loved it. And then my youth minister was a Franciscan grad. And, I, and so I loved both of those guys. And I was like, well, I'll just go to one of them. And then I didn't get into Christendom because the letters of recommendation from the priest that I love never came in. Uh, and so I got into Franciscan. And once I got in, I was like, that's it. I'm going to Franciscan. So I went to Franciscan. I wanted to be a priest. But with the wisdom of some of my friends who were there before me said, don't go in saying you're going to be a priest. Go in just as a freshman and get some formation just as a human person. So I went in as a freshman, and I joined AMDG as a freshman and loved it because it was I was a football player and a wrestler and a team sports guy, and AMDG was like the continuation of my team sports life after high school. And I was the example of a shining student, right? I didn't ever go to class. I didn't study for anything. I played Mario Kart until 4 in the morning. <laughs> um, I love college. Exactly. That was me. So I ended up um, meeting this really awesome girl, and she's from uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which is where my parents are actually from originally. And I was like, this is awesome. This girl's amazing. She's holy. She's at this school. This is great. So we start talking, and she says, hey, look, I got to tell you, I want to be a nun. And I go, hey, that's great because I want to be a priest, so we should date. Because that makes sense.
2: I forgot about her. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Can I tell you, you know, how much I've been waiting to hear this story? Because have you seen her video? Yes, I have. I and have. is and she talking about you?
1: Uh, I can't answer that question for her sake. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Continue. She so, was
0: like the nicest girl. Out I I just remember coming back from Austria. Because I, I, I came back spring of your f- of freshman year. Right. And... I met her, and I think I, I remember being told that you guys kind of, like, had a thing, but she was going to be a nun or whatever. And I was like, wow, she's the nicest girl that I've ever met, like, ever.
1: Yeah, she's really incredible. And she's a nun now, which makes sense. So, mm-hmm. so she, uh, she goes on a discernment trip. Uh, we actually went to mass, which was, like, the dating thing to do at Franciscan, of course. Ugh. And this priest gets up and gives this homily, and he goes, is God calling you to be a nun? Don't date that guy. And I was like... All right. Thanks, Father. That's awesome. So <laughs> she, like, stayed <laughs> to pray after Mass, and I just left. I just walked out. I couldn't take it. It was so bad. So she goes on a discernment trip with the, with the community that she's with now, um, a community of a lot of women based in Tennessee, the Nashville area. And uh, Why are we being they, so
2: obscure as to what <laughs> religious order should Hey
1: For Luke's sake, okay? okay for Luke's enough. sake. Fair enough. was yeah. so with Binnikins. <laughs> I just liked how JD said where, yeah, who you are in such an eloquent way. Oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So anyway, so this girl uh, goes on this discernment retreat. She comes back spring semester and says that she wants to be a nun like today. And so she's going to finish up and she's going to leave. And that was really hard for me because I really liked this girl. But I knew that God was calling me to the priesthood at this moment. So I decided, okay, if she can be a nun, I can be a priest. And I'd only ever thought about being a diocesan priest because that was all I ever knew growing up was diocesan priesthood. There were no religious in my part of Georgia, and I never encountered one. I never really thought that was another option. So I joined up with the Archdiocese of Atlanta my sophomore year of college. Um, This girl that I had uh, pretended to date, uh, she's a a nun now, fully professed sister of the the Dominican Sisters in Nashville, Tennessee, and... uh, I was a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta and I'm in the airport with my mother driving from Pittsburgh to the university and my mom has this grand mal seizure and my mom had never had a grand mal seizure before so I have no idea what's going on and things are okay in the end she had had this near fatal car accident before I was born Um, she should have died all this crazy stuff happened she lived I was born about 18 months after the accident Um, So, yeah, it's pretty miraculous that me and my two uh, younger siblings are here. And because of that near-fatal accident, she's having these grand mal and petite mal seizures. And petite mal seizures are seizures that happen in your brain, but there's no physical effect of it. There's no external effect of it. So I find out all this, my whole life, my mom has been having these seizures, and that's why she's kind of been distant this, this whole time of our lives. And it was really hard, and I remember turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, like, I gave up that girl for you. I gave up everything for you. Why are you making this so hard? And I didn't understand the nature of suffering, which is something that you had mentioned, Luke, of like, you know, why why are things so hard? Why does my mom have cancer? Why is I'm trying to do what God wants, but suffering is in my face, and I don't know what to do. And so I ended into a pretty big depression. I didn't sleep very well. All my friends were in Austria. I wasn't, well, except for Luke. He was in the States with me. Um, and I, I ended up failing out of Franciscan University because my grades were really, really pathetic. Um, so I was still a seminarian for the Archdiocese. I, some other things had happened, um, and I just was I, was, I was suffering, and I had never suffered like this in my life, and I didn't know that the Christian life was the life to look like Jesus, and I didn't know if I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to look like Jesus, and the image we have mostly of Jesus is him on the cross, and I didn't realize that's what I'm supposed to look like as well, and so I end up going to community college for a semester, and I did really well in community college, and I was like, man, maybe I'm smart after all, so I go back to Franciscan, spend some time with the seminary. I discerned to to leave the seminary after a while because of some things that had happened that I was kind of misunderstood in, and all this other stuff. And I dated another girl and she's actually a nun now in Miami, Florida. <laughs> so then I, uh, get this job in Houston. I ask this other girl on a date and she says, look, you're awesome and everything, but I got to let you know, I want to be a nun in Miami, Florida. And I'm like, look, I've done this before. I know what's going on. Have a good time. I'll never talk to you again. I,
2: I know what's going on. We should date.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, Do you like few feud- Fertility mixed with heartache, but a sense of adventure for about five minutes.
1: Exactly. All that nervousness of having to ask a girl on a date was like totally wasted because they wanted to be nuns. So I don't don't know why I ever got nervous about asking a girl on a date because I should have just known, oh, she's going to be a nun. So what's the (laughs) point? So, yeah. So then – After discerning for a long period of time in Houston, I decided to date another girl. But I asked her first if she wanted to be a nun, and she said no. So that was a good response. And as we started to move toward marriage, she would tell me like, hey, you know you're supposed to be a priest, right? And I would say, no, no, like maybe, but no, 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 no. And there was just something inside me. Whenever we would speak about the future, about like, You know, having kids and having this job that would make money as opposed to youth ministry so that we could afford a family. Like, that was exciting for a moment, but when I would go home and I would pray or pretend to pray, I would just think, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. And I remember going on this retreat, this discernment retreat, uh, and I was doing Ignatian contemplation, and I was carrying the cross with the Lord, and I was discerning three things. Number one, to be a diocesan priest number two, to marry this girl, or number three, to join the religious community that I'm in. And I was carrying the cross with the Lord, and I had finally learned that suffering is part of the Christian life. And I can actually find meaning in suffering because I look like Jesus when I suffer. And so I'm Simon of Cyrene, walking with Jesus. Jesus is crucified, and I grip the base of the cross in my imagination with the Lord. And I said, Jesus, let me never leave this place. And Jesus says, let me show you where it is. And we kind of panned back, and the hill of Calvary is now the Rocky Mountains. And I looked at the Lord, and I said, "I have to give up everything to follow you to move to Denver, Colorado." And Jesus said, "Yes, yes, you do." And I cried. I cried like a baby because I didn't want to. I I wasn't like, "Hooray! I've got it all figured out. This will be easy." I was like, "This is going to be hard. This is going to be really, really hard." Because I love my friends. I love my truck. I love my girlfriend, I love my job, but I'm gonna give all that up because I love the Lord more. So I've been with the community for four years now in my first year of temporary vows. Um, it's, It's not been easy. It's not been like, oh, this is a dream. This is the best thing I've ever decided to do. It's been a struggle, but I remember that the Lord wants me to look like him and to be like him. And I was reminded the other day by my superior that I had written him a letter when I wanted to take vows. And I said, I could be a priest. I could be a priest anywhere, but I don't want to be a priest. I want to be a saint. And my superior reminded me of that the other day. He was like, you want to be a saint. And in this community, we make each other saints. So sure, it's hard, but the joys that we have here are beyond anything that you could experience. And it's true. It's true. So, I don't know. Is that what you're looking for? I mean, I
2: have something in my eye right
1: now. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, a, oh, <laughs> Clear my throat. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's um, you know, and one of the things that I've always admired about you is there's a selflessness to you that I think is really rare with a lot of men. Like, one, you're a great athlete.
1: Thank you
0: and i i remember the i think it might have been when the, you were on the team that uh when we came back and won the flag football thing right oh yeah i was on that team that, that was definitely great we won with 23 seconds left We're <laughs> down by awesome. 10 points <laughs> <laughs> um i remember during a practice going against you or something and just being like oh i'm 2 years older you're, you're fine. I'm like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to walk all over you. And I was like, Oh no, you're huge. And you're really athletic. Yeah. And, but like there's, and it's, and it's not that you are, um, you aren't a soft guy, but you really honestly are a guy. You are a a man for others. And that isn't any more evident than in your walk with God.
1: Thank you. And so it's really
0: encouraging, uh, to me that there's a person like you in who's becoming or is currently in the process to discern about, or however you want to put it to become a priest and to be part of an order that I really think is one of the most important ones in our entire country. Cause what you guys are doing is insanely important and you have impacted everyone that's come across you guys. I mean, there has been one, I can't, I can't really stop. And I mean, I've been, I first started going to spiritual uh to spiritual direction with Father John in January of 2003 and to this day it's still a part of my daily prayer life the like things that he told me
1: That's awesome.
0: You know, and so like it's and I think that's true with like with anyone who has been involved with you guys. So, can you talk a little bit about um this like some of the crazy stuff that you guys do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um it's it's fun being in a new community because we get to experiment with things and, and try out new things and crash and burn sometimes, but also have radical success. Uh, so one of the we're an Ignatian-style community, so we do Ignatian contemplation as a regular basis, and one of the things is that each man does an a eight-day silent retreat each year doing Ignatian contemplation. So for those of you who don't know, you pray about five holy hours a day. Um, some in front of the Blessed Sacrament, some outside of that. And you read a gospel story, you ask for some specific grace from the Lord, and then you just put yourself in that story. You build the scene, engage all your senses, you insert the people, and then you just act out the story. And when the story is done, you draw aside with the Lord, and you speak to the Lord one-on-one. So that's a basic Ignatian spirituality. So you have to do that every year for eight days. You meet with a spiritual director uh, one hour a day to kind of direct you as to where you should move in your prayer. The eight days lead up to a 30-day Ignatian spirituality retreat. So for a whole month, you don't talk to anyone except for one hour a day. You talk to a spiritual director who kind of moves you through like the four main phases of Jesus's life, uh, similar to the rosary. And it's a really powerful experience. If you're having a hard time being silent or if you don't think you could be on a 30-day silent retreat, I am like the extrovert. Like I was ready for bed and then we uh, started this podcast and I'm going to be up for like three hours after this because I'm just like, yes, people, even though they're not in the room, it's still people. So um, yeah, so if I can do a 30 day, anyone can do a 30 day. Another thing that we do that I think the experience that you're really wanting me to talk about is the poverty pilgrimage Mm -hmm. where basically... We take the gospel passage of take nothing with you for the road and rely solely on the Lord. Go into a town. If they welcome you, stay with them. If they don't, then knock the dust off your feet and move on. So you have a plane ticket or a train ticket into a place, and you have a plane ticket or a train ticket out of a place. And then you have a Bible and a backpack and a change of clothes. And that's it. And you have to survive for a month relying on the grace of God and the kindness of strangers. So I did mine two years ago. I started in Barcelona, Spain, and I had to get to Paris, France. And it is incredible. And the poverty you experience is insane because no hablo espanol, and I don't even know how to say that in French. (laughs) So, I mean, what are you supposed to do? I I, I can pretend to speak German because I studied it in high school. And I went up to this lady, and I was like, um, sprechen Sie auf Deutsch? And she says, "Yeah." And I said, uh, ich möchte eine. And she goes, your German is horrible. And I was like, thank you, <laughs> thank you. So, yeah. I think was, you speak better German, experience. though, than,
2: than uh, Blaze, who would go <laughs> when we were in Austria. He would go to the people and go, uh, uh, water closet. <laughs> Bathroom <laughs> water closet,
0: and for our audience who does not know, Blaze sounds just like Hank Hill. So imagine Hank Hill saying that. Hey, go on. Hey, where's uh,
2: where's where's El water closet-o There, German. I need a water thing. Uh, El Water el friendo <laughs> How do you, how do you say Mister in German? Oh yes, uh, Mein Führer. <laughs> <laughs> no blaze, that's not how you do it. That's not don't don't do that in German. Oh, oh I'm sorry
1: Larry. I always whenever
2: I do a blaze impression, I always make him sound like an idiot, but he's incredibly intelligent and I always feel bad. Yeah. But then I don't. There you go. And then I make Luke laugh like that.
0: That was so funny. Oh I love Blaze. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Kelsey Uh go on with sorry, I mean sorry, Brother Peter, go on with your story.
1: Yeah, so I just I landed in Barcelona and I was like, Lord, I don't know what the heck to do. And so I had a list of like 15 churches that I needed to visit. So I needed to visit this cathedral in, in Barcelona. I needed to visit um, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. I was going to go up to Manresa and Montserrat where Ignatius of Loyola was, where he wrote the 30-day exercises and spent some time in prayer. Um, I went to Lords. I went to John Vianney and ours. I saw Bernadette Navarre. Parley Monial has Claude de and Margaret Mary Alacoque. I mean, France has like a saint everywhere you go. So that was my job, was to hit up as many saints on this pilgrimage as I could. So it wasn't vacation. It wasn't like I was going to go to Euro Disney, and I wasn't going to go to the Eiffel Tower. I mean, if I saw it, I saw it. But that wasn't the point. The point was to spend this time moving toward the Lord in every way. So this story, it's, it's crazy, and I'm going to ramble. So just interrupt me if I start to just talk too much.
0: Welcome to our podcast.
1: <laughs> so... I land in Barcelona, and I go to the the tourist office, and the lady gives me a map, and she tells me that it's five euro to go from the office to the the church I need to get to, and I turn around to walk out of line, and these two Americans there, and so I ask them, like, what they're doing, and we start to talk, and they ask me what I'm doing, and I tell them that I'm doing this pilgrimage, and the lady just goes, hey, um, sounds like you need some money. Here's five euro. So... Right off the bat, <laughs> the Lord provides this 5 euro old for me to get on the bus and get to the cathedral. So I get to this cathedral, and Brother James, one of the brothers, the guy who will be a priest in May, so please pray for him on the Feast of St. Matthias. Um, so Brother James said, listen, stay close to the churches. That's the key. Stay close to the churches. And so I uh, got to the church, the cathedral, the place I needed to get to, and They closed the doors like it was nighttime, so the church was closed. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm supposed to be in there. Like, I'm supposed to be in there praying right now. And it was just crazy that all of a sudden this door was locked. So here I am in Barcelona with nothing, nothing, nowhere to go, no one to know, nothing. And I just start walking around. So I ended up spending the first night on the beach um, because you can in Barcelona And I walked by this, like, Franciscan church, and uh, I remember thinking, I'll go in the morning to this Franciscan church, and I'll ask for help. So in the morning, I get up, I go to this Franciscan church, I go in, and the lady speaks Spanish, and I was like, "Um, can you help me? And she said yes, and then they called the superior, and the superior said, actually, we can't help you because we don't know if you're really a brother or just some crazy homeless person. And they ended up giving me these like 10 bags full of groceries. So now I have like chips and cheese and crackers and bread. And I'm like, I walked into this place with less stuff than you're giving me. So I started walking around Barcelona giving this food that I had to homeless people. And these homeless people were calling me crazy because I had less than they did and I was giving away to them. And so for about a week I was homeless in Barcelona Uh, I was sleeping on the streets. I was just kind of going to church to church, begging for food. I was getting about four euro a day, which was enough for like a a gallon of water, um, a baguette of bread that was like two feet long, and a pound of pepperoni. So I'd just make these pepperoni sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and drink water all day.
0: So how'd you go to the bathroom?
1: Uh, McDonald's is your friend. So, but I didn't, (laughs) and I, I swam in the ocean a couple times, you know, to like bathe, quote unquote. So That's crazy. I was, I was a pretty gnarly situation. So I go to... Um, I ended up eventually getting enough money to get up to Manresa and Montserrat. And uh, I got to pray in the cave where Ignatius wrote his 30-day spiritual exercises, which was a really powerful experience um, for me. And, and then I got back down to Barcelona, and I was just heartbroken that I hadn't gone... I needed to go like 600 miles or something, and I hadn't gone anywhere in a week. So... I end up um, going to this church on the Feast of Pentecost. And during the Pentecost Mass, this priest keeps going, Franciscan, Franciscan. He keeps pointing at me and saying, Franciscan. And I go, no, no soy Francisco. Uh, hermano religioso, necesito ayudar. Anyone, anyone? This is like during Mass, this is happening. <laughs> and after Mass, these I, Americans. That's awesome. It's the priest. It's, it's just incredible. After the Mass, these Americans come up to me. And they're like, hey, what do you need? And I'm like, we just kind of start talking, and and they end up, I told these people I needed to get to Lourdes, France. And they said, it's about 200 euro to get there. And all of a sudden, these people pull out their wallets, and they start to hand me money. And they just start to hand me money. And I look down, and all of a sudden, I've got about 220 euro. And I just ran, I was like, thank you! And I just ran out of the church to the train station. So I buy a train ticket to go from... Barcelona to Toulouse, and then from Toulouse, I got to get another train down to Lourdes. And I was told it was 200 euro, and Ignatius of Loyola had done this, and so I was trying to be inspired by Ignatius, and I took the remaining money I had, the 20 extra euro, and I found a homeless guy, and I gave him the 20 euro, because I didn't need it anymore, and I wanted to rely on God's providence again when I got to Lourdes. So I take the train to Toulouse, to and I go to the train station to buy my second ticket, and I'm 20 euros short. I had given away the money uh, that I needed to the homeless uh, guy. Oh, so and stupid. I was like, so stupid. I was, <laughs> I was so miserable. I was so miserable. So I was homeless again for two more days in Toulouse. Wow, was, that's
0: <laughs> So, I mean, okay, keep going, but I want to come back back to that once once you're done so no no interrupt uh, me.
1: what's your question
0: like so I know we're gonna talk about how it all like worked out but what I want to know is what the hell happened when you were homeless like what was like what was your mind like what was your mental state like like I I don't I could not handle that like so can you just kind of explain like what because I think when like when like I want to hear about like the bad times when you were like freaking out or like scared and like how that resolved if it yeah, even did it all.
1: Yeah, I would I would never say I was scared my first night on the streets in Barcelona. I would say mm-hmm. that. But I mean I'm six foot four, two hundred and sixty pounds. I used to be able to bench over three hundred pounds and squat a small elephant. Like I'm a giant of a man. Nobody yeah. messes with someone my size. That's you true. Know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I get that as well. Like I I'm not scared to go anywhere for the most part. people look at me and they're like
1: oh wow
2: let's just kick him down a hill and roll him and (laughs) he's clearly (laughs) an intellectual with with like sticks hey look at that guy he clearly spent his high school days sitting in a chair drinking dr pepper on the internet (laughs) watching law law nor in between his uh, aol chats um continue
1: (laughs) So (laughs) so i wasn't necessarily afraid for my life but i do remember praying this prayer a lot jesus you're doing this wrong (laughs) because (laughs) that's right because my founders did this and one of the nights they spent the night on like pebble beach and the next night like clint easterwood was their neighbor you know like they got a mansion one night and they were the guy was like just use the west wing like literally that was the statement to it i remember
0: hearing (laughs) crazy stories like that so i'm so i'm you know that's why i am interested when it doesn't work out like the story of like and then a thousand dollars was dropped out of the sky it's like no then i was homeless for a week that was cool right <laughs> like, yeah. like like what's going on in your head with that like are you angry with god are you i mean well you kind of already explained that but
1: Right, I yeah, I, I've learned to not be angry with God, but I've learned to express to Him like this is not what it's supposed to be, and unfortunately, it still ended with this is your fault. <laughs> and I remember the fourth night of me being homeless, I laid down to go to sleep, and I said, Jesus, if you're here, be with me tonight. Like, let me know that you're with me tonight because I'm doing this wrong, apparently. And on that fourth night, that's when things really began to change because the fifth day, that's when I got up to Manresa um, in Montserrat. And then um, the next day of praying that same prayer, that's when I got the money to get up to Toulouse, you know. And then Mm -hmm. I got comfortable again. I was like, yes, this is awesome. Jesus, you're actually doing it right for once, you know. (laughs) I'm in Toulouse and I'm like still struggling with like Jesus you're doing this wrong I'm I'm like this is not working out I don't know where to go I don't know which way Lord's is and so after my my mass that morning I had committed I said okay at the end of mass I'm just going to start walking south because that's the direction I know Lord's is in and if I get there I get there if I die that's on you God and as I'm <laughs> that was that was where I was at And I was walking out of this church, and all of a sudden, I hear the beautiful sound of people speaking English. And if you haven't... I figured out why homeless people speak to themselves, because nobody wants to talk to them. So I'm walking around France just talking to myself, because no one speaks English, and Mm -hmm. I'm just, hey, hey, how are you? How are you? And I smell, and I look bad, and people are just like, that guy's dirty, and just walk away, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... I hear these people speaking English, so I immediately go running over to them, and it's a school, um, and they're kind of on a tour of this church, and they don't want to talk to me. And the guy kind of in charge of the church says, listen, talk to Mia, she's whatever, she's crazy like you are. So I go talk to this lady, Mia, and I'm like, hey, I'm a pilgrim, and she goes, you're a pilgrim? I do pilgrimages all the time. I never come to Europe with any money. I always go and just purely rely on the grace of God. I got to tell you these stories. And she spent 20 minutes telling me of all the ways that God had provided for her. And I was like, he hasn't done that for all, at all for me, hardly. And she goes, well, what do you need? And I was like, I need 20 euro to get to Lord's. And she goes, you want to know something? I have 20 euro. And she gives me this 20 euro and she's like, go get on your train. And then she actually stopped and she said, I lied. I have 22 euro. Go get yourself some apricots for your train ride down. And I remember wow. being like, Jesus, this is incredible again. Like, here you are. Like, here we are doing this thing together. And I got these apricots and I'm sitting on the train and I'm eating these, this food. And I'm like in tears because... Here I am with nothing, and God is still giving to me. I'm complaining to the Lord, and he's still giving to me, and I hadn't even said thank you yet. And so I finally get to Lord's, and I realize I need to go to confession. So I go to confession, and and my complaining to the Lord, I want you to understand, is not in itself sinful, but I needed to get it out of me because I was on pilgrimage. So I confess mm-hmm. to this priest that I'm on, I'm doing this thing and all this stuff, and he's trying to tell me I'm crazy, and I'm trying to tell him, yeah, I know I am, but just forgive me of my sins. He forgives me of my sins. I walk out of this um, chapel in Lord's, and there is this American family standing there, and we begin to talk, and uh, they kind of ask me what I'm doing. I explain the whole situation. They say, well, where did your community come from? And I'm like, this small school in Ohio. And they're like, well, what's the name of it? And I'm like, Franciscan University of Steubenville. And they're like, really? Who do you know from there? Um, and I, uh, I kind of said some names. I was like, well, I know Ben Lesniewski. And they were like, wait, is that Bob Lesniewski's brother? And I was like, yes. And they were like, we went to school with Bob. We're also <laughs> graduates from Franciscan University of Steubenville. That's awesome. It was incredible. And they were like on their 10th honeymoon anniversary or something and at this point, the Lord was like, "Hey, I want you to stay in Lords for five days." And I was like, "Jesus, um, I've lost a week of travel. I've gone like 100 miles of a 600-mile journey. Um, I, I don't have five days." And Jesus was like, "You have to stay for five days." And as I'm talking to this family, they said, "Well, well, we're in Lord's for four days. Do you want to stay with us?" And I was like, "Wow. Yes, absolutely I do. So I stayed with this really generous family for four days, and then they ended up leaving. I was volunteering, so I was at the baths. I was helping out all the time. And my prayer had turned into, Jesus, I just want to be with you. Whatever it takes, I just want to be with you. If that means poverty, I'll be with you. If that means having nothing and sleeping on the streets again, I'll just be with you. So the family I was with, they left, and I was going to be on the streets one more night. And I was like, fine, Lord, Like I'm in Lord's. This has been really consoling. Um, it's been really fruitful. Uh, People have been coming up to me because people have been talking about me and I've got about 400 euro right now. So I'm set for the rest of this trip. So thank you. And the Lord wasn't done because we were doing the candlelight rosary and a family that I used to live with in Houston, Texas was standing in front of me at the end of the rosary. Not people that I kind of know, people that I lived with are in Lourdes, France, on the fifth oh day gosh. that Jesus said, stay in Lourdes on the fifth day. And here I am looking at these people that I know dearly. Is this Ken and Claire? Yeah, Ken and Claire. That's awesome. It was in, I had no idea. I hadn't seen them in like two years.
2: Yeah, so after and, Brother Peter broke up with me and moved out of my apartment, uh, <laughs> he moved in with them. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible to see them. And so we hung out for the evening. They gave me a place to stay for the night. The next day, Ken actually had work in Paris, so he and I spent, like, three hours in a car catching up, driving back up to Paris, and I passed through, like, 300 or 400 miles of France in a car with one of my best friends. That's insane. (laughs) It was insane. It was so insane.
0: See, I love that story about, like, how... Like, I love the good and the bad at that. Like, I love that Christ was in both.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, that's really what. So would you say that the point of doing a pilgrim like that, like what's in one line? What's the
1: point? The point of that is to rely purely on God and to know that he will provide for your needs. I ate two times a day. Nobody harassed me when I slept on the streets. Um, I saw some of my best friends in in Europe in a place that I wouldn't think that I'd ever see people. So,
0: yeah. That's that's beautiful. That's – man, I love that. Like I, I just love – it sounds nuts, but I just like – I love the idea of you being homeless in Barcelona for a week.
1: I'm glad you love it.
0: And just – I mean, I'm like I'm, – I mean, I just – like the fact that you're alive and you experience that, like what an incredible experience. Like – I want to do that right now so badly, but I'd be so terrified. I'd, I would just cry. And you're married. I would so just it's cry. Not prudent. Oh yeah, and that. So and I, I and honestly, I can't stand being away from from Aaron um, longer than like eight hours. So. <laughs> oh, newlyweds um, are
2: the worst. Ugh. I know Pretty it's true. Like, you'll be I, begging God for overtime, or begging your boss for overtime. <laughs>
0: I don't want to go home. I told her I was like I was like I don't want a podcast, honey. We were having a great chat about your city council election back in the year 2000.
2: <laughs> and then she's like, "Please go and do the podcast." <laughs> so, um a percent true. Yeah, so part of the thing that I love about your religious order and if I were a priest, I would be a religious, I would go to your community is number 1, you're not 70s Jesuit, you're Ignatian. And what I mean by right. that is I have met so many people who are like, you know what we do here in our spiritual retreat center, villa built in the 70s, is, is we have a very deep history. This is just my impression. Um, we have a really deep uh, history with Ignatian <laughs> spirituality. And I'm like, okay, what do you do here? And it's like, well, we do the Enneagram and the Primal Scream, and we do Holy right. Massage and Sacred Yoga, and I'm like... I don't think Ignatius did any of that. I think He's Ignatius. A, a holy massage sounds sure. great. Yeah. What did you say, uh, Brother Peter? Because uh, Luke did was the making prayer a labyrinth. joke. Yeah, the uh, yeah. Oh, of course. Always the prayer labyrinth. 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 Always the prayer labyrinth. Um, but I just like massages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you get my calves? I think the Lord is dwelling in my calves and really wants you to, uh, I don't know, holy. <laughs> Aba- I need the Lord to give me a hot stone massage. My back is killing me. <laughs> Oh, the priestess will see you now. Anywho, so I, I've i encountered Ignatian spirituality as it's meant to be, right? And to me, that is such a, a very masculine spirituality, um, meaning a lot of the times when people even say, and I even cringe when I say the word spirituality, because to me that is so laced with this sweet nurture, make you feel good about yourself. Uh, in self-indulgent pop psychology crap rather than, like, this is how you follow the Lord. This is how you enter into communion with Jesus. This is how you shut up and hear his voice, you know? And St. Ignatius, he was a soldier who left it and then was like, you know, I can become a saint like all these others. And then his his horrible efforts and all of that stuff, just uh, he's a very, you know, like he's an awesome person for someone like me because he's so broken in the beginning of his life that the fact that he actually has an ST period before his name is like hope that, uh, you know, like that someone miserable like me could make it out of here alive um, in God's graces. So what is it about this spirituality, this approach that most speaks to you because I think a lot of people want – I just had a guy text me the other day. He's like, hey, who do I go to for spiritual direction? And I was like, Denver. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you what do? you do? What do you say about um, – I don't know. What, what What is your spiritual life like as a religious Ray. brother who has an, a strong Ignatian spirituality?
1: Yes. So the big thing is uh 8-day silent retreat and the Lord always does something new. I mean, I've prayed with the baptism of the Lord 50 times more so and every time I pray with the baptism of the Lord Something new happens. Jesus always calls me into something new. Real quick, real and, quick.
2: Praying with the Baptism yeah. of the Lord means on Ignatius's spiritual exercises. That is one of the key passages that you meditate on. You insert yourself into the story. Um, right. The so Baptist. again, there's yeah.
1: five five basics. Um, parts of Ignatian spirituality, and there's more or less depending upon who you talk to, but these are the five that I like to teach. First is the preparatory prayer. So what is the grace that you need from God? Like, what is that one thing that I just have to have or else I'm gonna die? And you have to beg for it from God like like a dog begs for a bone. Like, come on, man, I need this, I need this, I need this, you know? Uh, And that's what Ignatius proposed. Like a homeless junkie in Barcelona. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So that's the first step, the preparatory prayer. The second step is to imagine the scene. And this is where I love Ignatian spirituality because I can't just sit there and do Lectio Divina every day, even though I teach Lectio Divina, because it just becomes kind of boring for my senses. And in building the scene, I engage all of my senses. So if I'm going to do the baptism of the Lord... What does water look like? What does water feel like? What is the heavens opening and the voice of the Father sound like? So I'm engaging all of myself into this prayer. So step one, preparatory prayer. Step two, build the scene. Step three is insert all the people. So where am I in this story? Am I about to be baptized by John? Um, Am I like a bystander? Am I one of the apostles? Am I John the Baptist? Who am I in this story? And you have to include Jesus in the story, and you have to imagine all of his details. And a lot of us have never really thought about what Jesus looks like. And yet, for each one of us, he comes in a different way. Uh, I, I taught some Korean kids at the high school that I taught and I said, well, what does Jesus look like? And they're like, he looks like an old man with a long white beard. And I'm like, cause that's your image of wisdom is this old man, you know? So for every person, the Lord comes in a different way. So first preparatory prayer, second, build the scene, third, insert the people, fourth, act out the scene. Just follow the scripture passage. Do whatever it tells you to do in scripture and be with Jesus the whole time. And then after the scene is acted out, you do the fifth step, which is you speak to Jesus one-on-one, draw aside with the Lord and talk to him and just have a conversation with Jesus like we're having a conversation right now. And that's where the real encounter of prayer comes in. And that's how I pray probably 90% of the time. I do like Sio Divina mostly uh, the other 10% of the time, and that's, that's how it goes.
0: That's awesome, Gomer.
1: No, that's that's all
2: right.
0: I'm just <laughs> kidding. That's a, uh, no. I sorry. I thought the church connection was lost. I was like, that's awkward. <laughs> so, Kel, she likes sports. <laughs> about them, them Falcons, the Braves suck. No, that's really. Um, there's a richness within uh, the Catholic Church for things like this to kind of uh, call back to what we talked about earlier. To to, to do that with what we talked about earlier, I think is really important. Like that's that's amazing. The fact that you had high school kids doing that is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot of work, but it's it's incredible when they encounter the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, we've been talking for around uh, an hour and fifteen minutes, and honestly, I don't want to stop. I like I'm I've every time we do this I feel like story time with Uncle Brother Peter Francis. Um, <laughs> so many so many familial names right there. Uncle Brother Peter. Um, so I think uh, I, I don't know how do we want to end this? Um, right now in in my life I feel like that there is a certain I don't know like there's this inward uh, this in. Uh, praying is becoming a very common thing. You know what I mean? Like it's familiar to the point, of, like kind of like how you describe Letzio Yo Davina all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I'm doing this thing again. I'm doing this now. Um, whereas my ministry side is always something new. It's, ex- it's incredibly exciting. Like right now, the places and the people that I'm, I'm uh, places I'm going to and people that I'm serving. How do I make sure that I don't end up being one of those people who they don't pray unless they're at adoration with, you know, 2000 teenagers. They don't, you know, do all this. Basically, how how do I prevent? What is what is your advice for someone who is so engaged in the work, the apostolate that it can sometimes lead to them not praying. Because I meet so many people who've been like, oh, yeah, I'm a veteran youth minister. And it's like, when was the last time you prayed? And like, I never do. Whee! You know? So, <laughs> what, isn't that horrible? <laughs> I should literally quit my job now. But for me, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, for me, like, it's, it's, uh, it's not that I don't pray or anything like that, but it's this. Um, and I, I get these ama- amazing things in prayer that I'm not even looking for. But the, the point of it is uh, there is. Uh, I don't want it getting stale on my, I don't want it to become dry because of me. You know what I mean? Like if the Lord wants to send me through a period of dryness or whatever, that I'm fine with, but I don't want it to be because of my sinfulness, my forgetfulness, my, my turning my prayer time into this rote thing. You know what I mean? Like where it's all on, where it's my fault for making it stale. That's what I want to say.
1: Right. And, and that's where the poverty pilgrimage, the lesson that I learned comes into play is I need you, Lord. And not just because Matt Marr wrote those words and turned Lord, it into a song. I need you. Oh, I need <laughs> you. Continue. And uh, I mean, I really have to have the Lord every day. If I don't encounter him every day, I'm, I'm worthless. And I don't mean that in the sense that like, it's going to be a bad day or I'm not going to teach well or I'm not going to talk about the Lord or something. But on the inside I know that it's not right. Like imagine if you and Shannon didn't talk or or Luke, you and Aaron didn't talk for like a day and a half. And then all of a sudden you guys sat down for dinner and you just pretended like, Hey, this is cool. Like the inside of you would be saying, this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But on the outside, you can kind of pretend. Does that make sense? Absolutely.
2: (laughs) How many times do we go to mass and we've never prayed on our own? And we show up at right. Mass, and we're bored with Mass, and we're pissed at God for making Mass boring. And it's like, you're, you're you're exactly, that's that's the perfect analogy. A husband and wife who have never spoken to each other tenderly, honestly, lovingly, and then now they're alone in a house at a meal. And they have nothing to say, but they're both smiling like, we'll fake it till we make it kind of thing.
1: Right. Or this will get better one day. Oh. But we've never talked about what better means. I mean... Yeah, a lot of us, this is, I mean, you said something that Peter Kreef said in one of the podcasts earlier, something to the effect of like, I always thought that Christianity would be this great, happy thing, but then I realized it's holding the lifeless body of the Lord. I, that's to- not what he said, but it's something to that effect. Can you remind me of that quote, real quick?
2: I have no idea what you're talking about. That wasn't me.
1: Oh, it was one. It was the one with you and JD, and you guys were talking about suffering. It was it was profound for me.
0: It was probably so, me that said it, but I'm drawing a blank because it's kind of late here. Sorry. <laughs> that's true. But we'll just assume right? that it was you. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So I mean, just the sense of like. Suffering is part of the Christian life. Oh no, I know something. what you're.
2: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the that was actually a, a. I think it was the charismatic phrase where it's Christ, uh, God doesn't give me the Holy Spirit so I can feel warm and fuzzy, but He actually gives me the Holy Spirit so I can feel cold and clammy, like a crucified Christ on the cross. Was
1: that? Yeah, it? Yeah, that. That's a lot that's of alliteration too. It. So yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that was a. These Puritan partners purchase people. Yeah, go that on. Was a Scott <laughs>
1: Oh, Scott Hahn. Okay, good. Sorry, Peter Kreeft. It wasn't you. It was the other guy, Scott Hahn. Um, Sure, it wasn't Jeff Cavins. It might have been him Hmm. or Matt Farad. Did we live in an apartment? (laughs) So (laughs) the um, thing is, is that it's my fault that Jesus is on the cross. Like, I do things to put him there. And when I pray, I don't act like that sometimes. Like I act like it's me and Jesus running through a field of roses and I'm like, see how good things are? This is what prayer is. But sometimes I have to come before the Lord and be like, this is what's wrong and this is how you have to fix it. And that's me putting the Lord back on the cross. But if the Lord is on the cross, then I know where I have to run to. I know that I can cling to the cross and be like, this is where you are and this is where I need to be. And I think that's what we have to make prayer is this raw honesty with the Lord of these things are bitter and these things are joys. Can we have some balance in these things or can you show me how to eliminate the bitterness?
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the most profound prayer experiences of my life was when I was in Idaho and things had gotten bad. Just really, really like that's, it was one of the worst days of my entire life. And that is saying something. Um, and, my secretary she just said just go to the church and pray and so I remember I went there and I was just like I don't I'm not I'm not from here why the hell am I here I don't know any like this is not me like I could be out in Texas or could be blah 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 you know and I remember I just like sat down in the church and I don't know why it was open there wasn't anyone there and I just said I'm not going to leave until you tell me why I'm here like just like I could because this is ridiculous and I just I just felt oh, the Lord just go you're here because I'm here, and you need to be where I am right now. And I was like, good enough. Then I went back and just like <laughs> it, it, it was like it was not this like long thing of like it was just like okay tell me this right now. you know and and there are times when that's happened and it and it's you know been a little bit like different but it was just so like wow, that was really quick. All right. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to go return some phone calls. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm like, honestly, like, okay, I can complete the rest of my day. Like, awesome. Cool. You know, like you're right.
2: That's awesome. Well, uh, Brother Peter, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, Is there any shout outs or FUs that you want to give people? Anything? Uh,
1: I don't know if I'm allowed to give FUs anymore because I'm a religious brother. So we'll just count them all as shout outs. So, yeah, Jake Machado, thanks for the microphone. I hope I sound good. Uh, Father John, thanks for letting me stay up past bedtime. When is your bedtime? I Night prayer is at 8 p.m., okay. and it's uh, 10.33 right now. So there's no official bedtime, but I have to get up for holy hour, and my alarm goes off at five minutes after four. Uh.
2: So what you're saying is you want to keep talking.
1: That would be great.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I'll do a quick F you to Tim McMillan, big F you to Tim and your cool hair in college.
2: You know, what's funny is I really feel like, uh, I, I, sincerely regret saying the F you part because I'm like, well, crap, now we're limiting who can hear this. Cause I'm a big dumb animal. I feel like we have this, like, like a teacher could take a part of our podcast and, oh, absolutely. and play it for her students. And now she can't.
0: <laughs> you know what you should do is just do like an edited version. Like do the clean, then do the explicit. Yeah, clean. that's what I should do. Because I should you do that. Because ne- you have so much time. on are your right. Hey, but um, if there are people who are more interested in uh, the servants of Christ Jesus, where can they find you guys?
1: We have this awesome website. It's S as in servant, C as in Christ, and the word Jesus, scjesus.org. Head to that website. There's some stuff there. I'm on Twitter. I follow Catching Foss's podcast. Uh, my name is BR Peter Francis, all one word. That's that's me. Uh, tweet at me. I pretend to be cool. So I put dumb tweets out there too all the time like everyone else in the world. So,
0: yeah. They're, they're great. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, dude, hey, this was awesome. That was – um, one of the things that I love about this podcast is it's honestly all about just I just – I feel incredibly selfish because I feel like I get a lot out of it just from these – Conversations and this was amazing. Hearing your, I, I did not know that you were homeless out in Europe. So that's crazy, and, I, and I'm glad that you're alive.
1: Me too. And, and, and actually, safe. it's been a blessing to have been like to be able to say I've been homeless because I've been on the airplane and people are like, "Well, you've never been homeless," and I'm like, "Well, actually, I have been homeless." So and they're like, "Wait, <laughs> you've been worse Europe. off than me?"
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, Gummer, where can people find you on, on Twitter? At Le Evangelist. I'm at the Luke V. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash catching foxes podcast, on Twitter at foxes podcast. Give us a rating review on iTunes, help spread of the word. Brother Peter, you are a baller.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for the time.
2: Yeah. Hey, will you do us a favor before you go to bed tonight? Will you just, I mean, you can pray for us and stuff, but will you just write a favorable review on iTunes? That'd be great. Yeah,
0: seriously, please. Yeah, I can uh, do that. We, We need to be back on new and noteworthy for religion and spirituality. Yeah. And, I mean,
2: like I said, you could pray for us, but what would help us out more?
0: Oh, yeah. No, totally. Listen, people, we don't need your prayers. We need your ratings and reviews. (laughs) That's a (laughs) joke.
1: Can I just copy JD's and then just post that as well?
2: Yes, but you have to change one word. It doesn't have to be any word you want. Just change one word, and then we have to find it, and it'll be like a game.
1: Excellent. (laughs)
2: <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much for coming right. on. We love you. I uh, love your order. Yeah. And we'll be praying for Brother James as he becomes Father James in May, right? Yes.
1: May, May awesome. 11th, I think. He's a good man. And I just want to is. say,
2: I wrote your letter of recommendation for you to get into seminary. And I talked to the priest later on. He said, that was the only reason why you're in seminary. So
1: you're welcome. It's it's the truth. And I have A's in all my classes. Nice. Hey. Nice. Good job, buddy. Mm-hmm. So isn't that, It's real formation. Isn't that funny that
2: the head of your order is Father John, who is my spiritual director. Uh, Father Paul, I converted to Christianity. You were my roommate. Brother James is a thing. Uh, and then right. Patrick, Patrick. Patrick. he's there now. He was one of my teens. And then Mark used to volunteer at my church with Life Teen and he's brother nathaniel now he's brother nathaniel wonderful wonderful so really do you think maybe you could just make me like a unofficial founder of your order i mean i'm
1: yeah we'll send you the uh the initiation sackcloth
2: i'm hoping for like a, a cool <laughs> cross or something
1: but no that's cool no, that's cool we, we just wear whole whole body habits with sackcloth